0: Hey there, it's so great to have you here with us today. One Chapel is a family of neighborhood churches in Kyle, and we help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about the things God is doing in this community and how to get involved at onechapel.com. I hope you enjoy this week's message from our Who Am I series. Please give a big One Chapel welcome to Thank you. Thank you, thank you. You know, when Brent... Asked me to come and speak, and he said, "Pray about it." And so, my prayer was. I went home and and uh, I said to the Lord, "I'm going to sit over here so I can watch the time." Um. Uh. And I said to the Lord, I said, "Lord, you know, I got to thinking about people in Kyle that I know, which is a lot of you, and I thought I love everybody in Kyle so much, and I would love to come here more often, but I'm in Austin and." I asked the Lord, can I go? Can I really go? And he approved. He said, okay. So really, it's not about the message. It's about me coming to see you. And so that was the main thing. But uh, that's true. All of that is true. and, And I want to tell you how much that I appreciate you. And I always hear wonderful things about Kyle and The ones that I get to see at One Chapel College is just so awesome. So I'm thankful for you and and who you are in the body of Christ. So we're going through this uh, six-week series on Who Am I? And uh, we're on week three, which is asking the question, Who am I when I feel alone? Have you ever felt alone? You know, this series, Who Am I?, it, it's, it's looking at all the factors that form and affect our identity. You know, there's a lot of those. And uh, the first week, we looked at um, our insecurities, Who Am I When I Don't Measure Up? The second week, we focused on comparisons, Who Am I When I Compare Myself to Others? And this week, we're going to look at the question, Who Am I When I Feel Alone? And we're going to look at loneliness but you know, when I think about my own identity, the thing that is crucial to me is who who am I in Christ? And understanding that there are things that can derail us, and that's what we're talking about. It's very practical, this series. Comparison, insecurity, lonely, those are practical things. It's not this deep theological insight, but it's very practical for us that's gonna, that can change your life if, if you'll allow it. Because... God tells us in 2 Corinthians 5:17 that we are new creations in him. If you've given your life to Jesus, and the old life is gone and the new has come. And he also told us in Jeremiah 29:11, which a lot of you know, that verse, the Lord said, "I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans and they're not for disaster, they're for a future and a hope." And uh, those are good words. But I do know that some of you just don't feel that way. You read those words, you don't feel that way. You feel insecure, you feel lonely, you feel isolated. And uh, that's what this series is about. How can I realize who I am in Christ? And what are those elements that, that help me to, to see that? And they become a part of my life. You know, the problem, and I'm gonna focus on this, is that people are lonely. People are lonely, and what does loneliness do to us? Well, Cigna, last year, which is a health company, actually uh, did a survey of 20,000 people in, in a lot of different cities around the United States, and they determined from those that were surveyed that 50% of the people said that they were lonely some of the time or all of the time. How sad is that? And Austin ranked highest among all the cities at 60%. Did did some of y'all, did y'all read that? Did you know? It's just amazing. Well, this health company wanted to see what an impact loneliness makes on our lives. And so that's why they sent this survey out. And uh, it not only affects us emotionally, but it affects us physically as well. As a matter of fact, they determined, because there's such a risk of being alone and lonely, that uh, it, 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 it's the risk of dying prematurely, prematurely. And they equated it with if you smoked 15 cigarettes a day. And so that's, that's shocking, isn't it? Would you have guessed that? That it takes a toll on your body like that? It also affects your blood pressure, your cholesterol levels, which will lead to stroke and heart disease and I mean, if you had to make an educated guess, you could probably guess this, that it, it's a higher risk of suicide and depression. So we see that more in, in our um, day and time of all that. And, and you wonder about it, you know. The ironic thing about it is is that we're more connected than we've ever been before, right? But we're so isolated relationally. It's like, why? Because we are connected. We're connected on... Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all these things. And uh, there was another survey that said that the average Facebook user had 338 friends. Y'all probably have more than that. <laughs> but, but they determined that those, most people have no close friends. And that has tripled within the last couple of de- decades. So in some ways we're going backwards instead of forwards as far as relationships. And the same study asked, how many people do you confide in? And guess what the answer was? Zero. How many people do they have to confide in? Now, what I'm sharing today, either you're going to relate to the loneliness or you're going to relate to the relationship part of it. And I hope it's the relationship part of it. But I want you to see how detrimental it is to your fa- your yourself when you are lonely and what you what you need to do about it. There was an article on March 7th at USA Today that was talking about South by Southwest, and there was this woman that came from the University of Delaware. She was a, a professor, and she was having these seminars on loneliness because she's written a book on loneliness. And so she planned two of these seminars at the same one, but it was so popular she had to add more seminars at this last South by Southwest. And it was called Always Connected, Always connected with thousands of friends, yet feeling all alone. Isn't that sad? But she wrote in her book um, about loneliness, and this is a statement that I found profound. She said, what comes up over and over again is how scary it is for them to reach out, people that are lonely. We have lost the social skills, for example, that when somebody is sick, you bring them soup, or when somebody dies, you go to visit We've lost that ability to have those talks, and because we don't have that now, my students are terrified at those conversations when you're looking at them in the eye. Can you look people in the eye? Well, you know what this tells me, that true relationships are very crucial to us, to our well-being, to our emotions, to our health, physically, mentally, emotionally. They're very important for us, and they're important for us in the body of Christ because we have to understand that God created us for relationship. You've heard that before, haven't you? I mean, relationships are so important. The presence of God cultivates that within us, and that's He is a relational God. And so we need quality relationships to help us to be healthy, to help us to grow, and help us to be the best version that God has for us. And it can be derailed. So we don't want that, do we, at all? So uh, we're going to look at a story that is um, the story of Ruth, and um, and uh, but first I want to tell you this scripture, and it's written on your your handout. Psalm sixty-eight six said, "God places the lonely in family." That's the first part of this scripture, and he wants us to he wants to put us in that family, because. God's desire is that we are relational ourselves, and that it helps to form us. Helps us to form us who we are. Uh, just think about child rearing in a healthy family; it shapes their identity, right? Those of us who are parents know that we're doing. We're trying to help them to be good citizens and to grow up and to be be uh, people of faith, and uh, so that when that time comes, you can stand alone that's the issue. Can you stand alone? Who am I when I stand alone? Because if you have a good foundation, if you have good relationships in your life, then you're going to be strong in your faith. You're going to have conviction in the things that are true and right. And you're going to have confidence that God is with you because we're going to all face times where we're standing alone. But, you know, when you think about it, half of the Americans uh, end up in divorce. And a lot of times, we, our identity is misshapen or misformed, and we need good relationships to, to correct that because that is not God's idea. One of the big ideas that we're looking at that's on your handout is we are designed for divine relationships, and they are they're, they're meant to influence our, our identity and who we are. You know, Proverbs 27:17 says that iron sharpens iron. So a friend will sharpen a friend. Usually, in that idea, that picture, that that someone else is going to make us better, going to make us better people. That's why we need each other. And we at one chapel have a really high value of helping people to form those relationships. So that's why we have catalysts. That's why we have groups. That's why we have teams. You hear us talking about that all the time. Well, there's a, there's a method to the madness. Actually, you know, and standing out on the fringes is really never works because when you treat the church like a consumer so that you can just get your feel good fix and be inspired, you can be inspired on YouTube, can't you? But but when you're in the body, when you're in a church, if you are standing out on the fringes, it's not going to take your loneliness away. It's not going to help you because the true family of God is very relational. It's sacred, these friendships, it's biblical, and it's supernatural. So just about a month ago, I had um, three friends that all died within five days of each other. Back in Birmingham, that's where I'm from, that's where I grew up, that's where I raised my children, and, um, and, and these friends, the reason that I was related to them in any manner was because of our common faith in the Lord. So these were good, eternal, divine friends. And when I was thinking about them and, and being at their funerals, I realized, you know what, I'm a better person because of these people. They have impacted my life. And you know what? I got to thinking about how long have I known these three people? and I've known them for 35 years or more. So that just lets me know, in, in my life as well, that it just takes time to have friends, it takes time to cultivate relationships, and a lot of times you don't realize how impactful these relationships are until that person is gone, and I'm a better person because of them. These people are my eternal friends. They were a part of my past, but you know what? They're a part of my future. So I'm going to get to see with them again. I'm, I'm going to have to be without them for a while. But but I am a better par- person because of them. And I tell you what, I feel that way about so many of you. I'm a better person because of so many of you. And, and that is the family of God. Even though we may not see each other every week or every day. You know, we can impact each other in such a profound way way. God can and he will take you out of your isolation and put you in a family, but you have to be open to it. There has to be an investment on your part because it takes time. So let's see it in the story of, of the book of Ruth. So the book of Ruth is eight books in, in the Bible. There's 66 books of the Bible, so I want you to go and read it because it's only three chapters if you've never read it. I'm going to just focus in on one little part of it, but this book is so profound, so you need to go and read it. But it's three chapters about this family. It's about Elimelech, who is the husband, the wife, Naomi, and two children, Malan and Chilion. And they are from Bethlehem. Remember who's from Bethlehem? Jesus. Well, they're from Bethlehem, and uh, at this point in time, things are not good at Bethlehem, and they're starving. And so Elimelech says, well, I'm going to do a drastic thing, and I'm going to take my family to Moab. And Moab was uh, a different land, close by, in relationship to what, what we know is like how far something is. But they were a different nation. The Moabites were descendants of of this incestuous relationship and they worshipped a God who demanded child sacrifice. And so they were going from this land of where God was honored and loved and relationships are important to a land where it's completely different. And interestingly enough, they were distant relatives. The Moabites and the Israelites were distant cousins. But there was always tension between them from the very beginning, and they were enemies. And during this time of the story, when Ruth and Naomi lived, there was, there was a lot of tension, as a matter of fact. The Moabites took the Israelites captive for a few years, but then God delivered them. The Moabites did not like them. So anyway, Elimelech, he takes his family to Moab to provide for his family, because he had to take drastic measures, right? And they were there for a while, because both of the sons... Uh, got wives from the Moabites. And so they must have been there, you know, how long does it take to get a wife? But a year or two or whatever. (laughs) So, you know, back in those days, they go out and, you know, uh, make an arrangement. But sadly enough, the father dies and then the two brothers die. Isn't that sad? You know, and it's leaving Naomi impoverished. She's she's in an impoverished state and she's lonely and she's grief-stricken and um, you know what? And so are the wives of the son. They're probably pretty young. And what are they going to do? So Naomi is left with these two daughters-in-law. And, and she knows that she really can't provide for them in the way that they need to be, be provided for. But she hears that things are improved in Bethlehem. So she decides she's going to go back. But what in the world is she going to do with these two girls that she knows it's, it's going to be hard for her to care for herself. How in the world is she going to care for these two girls? So she tells them, I want you to go back to your families. Go back to your family. Go back to your pagan god. But one of the daughters-in-law stays with her. The other one goes back, and one stays with her. And that simple act of, of her clinging to Naomi, her mother-in-law, impacts her life in ways that she doesn't even know that at this point. And just like Ruth and Naomi, divine relationships, God-ordained relationships are meant to influence our identity as well. But sometimes it's hard to realize. When I think about my friend Martha who died, I think about her and I think, oh, I don't get to talk to her anymore because she she, had such, she just poured into our lives. She loved us so much, and she taught us so many things just by her life. It's like, oh, I'm not going to get to talk to Martha anymore. It was hard to realize the impact that she made in my life. But you may ask, how do divine relationships impact our identity? How do they do that? Well, in our independent-minded society, it has taught us otherwise because first point we overlook the value of divine relationships in discovering our identity we overlook the value of these divine relationships in discovering our identity so let's go back to the the beginning of this story kind of rehash it look at it a little bit deeper in the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land and a man of bethlehem who was a <laughs> And Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife, who is Naomi, and his sons. So we know they were looking for food, and we know they settled a while in Moab, but the men ended up dying, leaving Naomi to whatever devices she had, which were not many, and with these two girls. And during this time in history, we have to realize it was very, very difficult for women to provide for themselves, to be the main breadwinners. A lot of them had to go and be taken in by family. And of course, there was no family at this place. As a matter of fact, she had some pagan daughters that were with her, and how was she gonna handle that? But she felt responsible for them, but she knew she couldn't do anything. You know, what in the world was she going to to do? You know, this was the worst thing that could have happened to Naomi. There were no children, and there was shame in that during this time, that there were no grandchildren. Can you imagine? what it would have felt like for Naomi. Have you been in a situation like that where you just felt like there's, I don't know what to do? She was lonely. She was full of grief. Uh, you know, she probably just didn't even want to live anymore. How was she going to provide and how was she going to cope for these? It was so sad and so bad for her that she changed her name, Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter, she was bitter. She was saying, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter because I'm so bitter. And it was too much for her to bear. Are you are you getting the idea of how it was for Naomi? She was all alone. And so she released her daughters-in-law to go back to their families because she knew that the future was bleak. She could not provide a husband for them. She thought their lives will be just as bad as mine if they go with me. But as I shared Earlier, Ruth, her daughter-in-law, went to get went with her. Now, if Ruth had gone back to her land, she would have found a husband. Culturally, it would have been so much easier for her, right? It would have been the most comfortable thing for her to do. It had been easy, but she was different. She was actually very countercultural in what she was doing, and and she was choosing the relationship over what was, like, best for herself. She was very selfless, and it was a divine thing, I believe. And you'll see that in just a minute. And even though Ruth was most likely lonely and grieving herself, she saw the loneliness in her mother-in-law, and she said, and she just insisted. She insisted to go with her. And we see this divine relationship forming here but it's not looking so divine is it it's pretty messy you know we know some of us know the end of the story and it's an amazing story but at this point in time they didn't know what was going to go on but this gift of relationship was going to bring life to Naomi and bring life to Ruth but she didn't know it at the time all that she could see was just bitterness so when you're lonely who do you go to who are your friends? Are they merely just friends of convenience or acquaintances? Are, are they good for you? So think about the people that you have relationships with, your neighbors, you know, your your classmates, your co-workers, your bar mates. Do they contribute to your feeling of loneliness? Because you can be in a crowd of people and you can feel lonely. Or you can be all alone and you don't feel lonely. That's what Jesus does for us. You know, do your friends, do they contribute to your feeling of purpose? Do they, do they put that within you? But I have another question for you. Are you willing to invest in divine relationships God has put around you because they're all around you? Are you willing to do that? Because it just might look like Naomi. So when you're lonely... Why don't you go out and find someone who is lonely? Have you ever heard the adage that says, to be a friend, you have to be a friend? Yeah. You need to be that friend. Yeah. You could very well be the answer to somebody's loneliness and change their life and pour into their destiny and pour into their identity. You know, I, I think many people see church a, in just a consumer way just to go and get go get inspired so they can try to make it through the week but if you want divine relationships you're going to have to invest in them it's going to take something from you so if you want a friend you need to be a friend think counter culturally about your loneliness and this might be the place that you find that divine relationship just like Naomi and Ruth so Naomi was about to see a divine gift that this girl would bring. So in point number two, just like with Naomi, God shapes our identity through the, the relationships he places us in. He shapes our identity. So listen to what Ruth declares to her mother-in-law when Naomi was trying to tell her to go, to go back to her family. Ruth 1, 16 through 18, but Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. This pagan worshiper is switching her allegiance to God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. She was going to stick with her to death. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Wasn't she determined? Ruth was so determined. I mean, she was almost forcing herself. Well, what she was doing is she was making a covenant with Naomi. A covenant is the strongest, most binding relationship that you can have with anybody on earth and in heaven. And marriages should be like that. Uh, But a lot of times they end up being contracts. But she said, I'm going to be with you till death. And it, she had this determination. Can you imagine Naomi is heart sick over her s- circumstance, probably full of fear and wanting to end it all. She had no reason to live. And she has this young girl that comes and just carries her and said, I'll be your friend. I'll stick with you through, th- through thick and thin. Hey, that rhymed, didn't it? I didn't do that on purpose, it just happened. But Ruth tells Naomi that she's willing to give up everything in her past to follow her to death and to follow God, which is really more important. I think something was stirring in Naomi's heart when she was living with this family, and she said, I wanna follow God. You know, people have this idea of that people in the Old Testament, the only people that knew God or could know God were the Israelites, but God opened it up to whoever would declare that he was God. And they could enter into a covenant, and he's the same way, and it's all based on faith. But Ruth gave up everything that she knew in her life from Moab that was comfortable and what she knew to follow God. Perhaps some of you are from another, another culture. You know what that feels like, to go to a culture where you're having to learn everything new. And this relationship would change Naomi's life and uh, ultimately affect our own life. And you'll see that in just a minute. So after Naomi and Ruth made it back to Bethlehem, Ruth devotes herself to Naomi. And, and it kind of perks Naomi up, and she starts coaching Ruth in the cu- cultural norms. But Ruth serves her. She's devoted to her. She offers to work for her from morning to night she's going out going to these places that have crops and they're they're just throwing out their discards and she's taking that and that's their food she becomes Ruth becomes the lifeline for Naomi and this is God's desire for her family right and in turn Ruth finds something that she did not bargain for she didn't know that she was going to get for herself as Naomi coached Ruth and and told her about this is the way I want you to get a husband and, they, and Ruth did it. And so the Lord provided for her a husband. And he also provided children. Which was a blessing. It's a redemptive thing for both of these women. And it was, it was something that they could have not created. That, that the Lord had in store. God had something amazing for Ruth and Naomi. And it came through this divine relationship. So he turned their bitterness into joy that's what divine relationships do they're joyful, they're life giving and the Lord does this on our part it's how he grows us, it's how he gets us to where he wants us to be and we're a part of helping people get to that, was it easy for Naomi? you know it wasn't easy for Naomi and it took a lot of time is it easy for us ever forming relationships having friendships, no they're usually very messy aren't they but God places us in a family and you know what, you're my family we're family members. And so, you know, standing up here on this stage, it seems like grander than life, but we're family. You know what? I could teach this over there in that corner just as easy. as I could do it up here with all these lights. But the, but the point is that we are family. And this family is this not perfect. It's real. But it's very real. And it's how we grow in love and patience and kindness and conflict resolution, which people don't even want to go there. But we've got to learn that. You know, it's how we learn to, to give and take, how we learn to love and forgive, and how we learn to challenge one another because we're not going to grow very well without it. We're shaped by those around us, just like the potter and the clay. This is how God grows us. It's a living organism. It is a family. He says we're, we're living stones being built together in a house. And God never talks about his church as a, as a convention center where information is exchanged or, or received only. It's not a consumer-driven organization either. And God doesn't use words like a crowd. Here's a crowd here, you know, or a mass of people to talk about his people. He uses l- words that are like a family. He calls Israel his wife. He calls us the bride of Christ. And everybody loves to be a bride, don't we? He says that we're family. He calls us beloved. He says that we're his children. And so we're in a family. And the third point, which leads us to the third point, because our relationships form our identity, our identity ultimately becomes our legacy. And So what do I mean by that, legacy? Well, it's what's passed on or handed down, and, and it's not bound by time or age. It's our future. And Pastor Brent has said this. Before, your friends are your future. Have you heard that? Yeah. The the friends that I have, including you, you know, are forming who I am. I might be older, but I'm still being formed because God is not finished with me yet. And in turn, that's going to affect people like my family, my children, people that I get to disciple. It's going to affect them in, 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 in great ways, and it can be positive or negative. 1 Corinthians 15.33 said, bad company, correct. Uh, corrupts good morals have you heard that that's one to remember because it does matter who you hang with because they're helping to form your identity ecclesiastes four two are better than one because they have a good return for their work if one falls down his friend can help him up but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him so the decision of ruth To have this lifelong relationship with Naomi ultimately led to one of the most important figures in my life and your life, and that's Jesus. We'll see that in just a sec. Ruth, the nobody who was a pagan worshiper turned believer in God, she became somebody because of this relationship with Naomi, you know. So let's look at this genealogy, Matthew 1, 5. And Salmon the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. Now, you may think, that's just a genealogy. What's that telling me? Well, it's telling us a lot. Because you see, Ruth was married to Boaz, and they gave birth to Obed, and then Obed grows up and gives birth to Jesse, and that's where the scripture ends, but Jesse grows up and gives birth to David, and David becomes the king of Israel, right? And then, amazingly, 28 generations later in this lineage, Jesus is born. So Naomi and Ruth left us a legacy. It can be impactful. Not everybody's in the genealogy of Jesus, but Ruth is. This pagan worshiper is in the genealogy of Jesus. It's amazing. Ruth a nobody who came from this obscure pagan nation who was impoverished and widowed. What is this telling us? Well, it's, it's answering how crucial the who am I question is. It doesn't only affect you in your life, but it affects those that come after you or that you're around people. So your legacy is looking back at your identity. You want your identity to be founded in God. And I look back at the legacy of those three people that just passed away, and they were all unexpected. It's not something that we expected. And I think about what they made on my life. I was not thinking about material wealth. I was not thinking about the car they drove or the house they had or the lake house they had or whatever they had. I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about the relationship that they had with me. And I am a better person because of them. And I'm a better person because of so many of you. So don't spend your life chasing the things that really don't matter. Realize how valuable these relationships can be in your life, you know. So I've got some questions for you. Do you have these kind of relationships? You need to ask yourself. Will you invest enough in them, and will you be that for other people when they are lonely or sad or feel rejected or left out? Will you be the divine relationship for someone else? Will you? Maybe you're lonely and you don't know how to do it. Well, this is a place where you don't have to be lonely, and we can help you. And if you're not immersed in doing life here, groups, teams, catalysts, whatever, what is holding you back? Because here at One Chapel, it's our desire to take you from where God wants you to be, take you from where you are to where God wants you to be, you know? And we do that through relationships. And they're not perfect relationships, and they're very messy. That perfection thing messes us up. So we think they're supposed to be perfect when we're not, you know? But we do it through groups and teams and catalysts, everything about... What we do church here is to experience that and it's very intentional. And if you're feeling like you need community, what I want you to do is I want you to take that connect card and I just want you to say, I need community. You don't have to give us a long, drawn out uh, you know, history of your life unless you want to. And we can pray for that, but put it on there and somebody will contact you in the next week or two because God wants you to be fully immersed in his identity. And it takes all of us to do that. So let me pray for you. And uh, I I know, especially for you that are feeling lonely and left out, and there's a war for your soul to be isolated. So we want to fight against that. But I want to pray for you, okay? Lord, I'm so grateful that you see each one of us where we are. That Jesus, you told us that you leave the 99 to go find the one. And that is just too much for us to comprehend and I'm asking you that you would overwhelm those who feel lonely and isolated by your loving kindness Lord I ask that you draw them to yourself and help them to know how much you love and care for them give them courage to reach out to those around them and grant them these divine relationships that you uh, value so much and whatever people are are whatever is holding them back Lord I pray that you would give them insight by the Holy Spirit to what that thing is, and that you would give them courage, Lord, to just reach out, to just write that on a Connect card. I need community. Lord, that you would help them to do that, that they can be everything that you have called them to be. Thank you for the promise that you will never leave us, forsake us. Thank you, Lord. May you be glorified in all that we say and do. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find info about groups, teams, and other things happening at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. Have a great week.